Hey, everybody. Welcome back for the final bonus episode of the Melanated Faith podcast for this season. We're going to take a little bit of hiatus to rest for the summer, but don't worry. We are going to be back soon. Um, But today, we are really excited to talk to you all about Juneteenth and Black Music Month. Other people have said African-American Music Appreciation Month. So we're just excited to celebrate and just talk more about our rich history. And also we have a very special guest joining us, Lindsay Love Bivens. She is an artist and community relations manager for Taylor Guitars. She's big time over there, y'all. And she also happens to be one of my best friends. So Lindsay is going to talk to us about the history of Black Music Month and how African-American musical pioneers forever changed the musical landscape in America and beyond. But before we jump into all of that, because it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be really good, Catherine, why don't you share and let everybody know a little bit more about the history of Juneteenth in case they do not know and need to catch up with this. Yeah, no, I thought this conversation was a great way to celebrate Juneteenth because I think Juneteenth is all about celebrating freedom and liberation for everybody, but also to just among, because it began as primarily an African-American holiday, um, the connections with like celebrating black music and our culture and heritage, um, it's really important. So I'm excited to have this conversation with Lindsay. But okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm going to brag on Texas. Well, this is like a not that great of a brag, honestly, because... <laughs> A brag because <laughs> a brag because the celebration began in Texas, but also not a brag because it took us two and a half years to figure out slavery had ended. So I'm gonna actually I'm gonna rescind that brag, but yeah. brag. <laughs> it's, it's not really, you know, it's a big part of Texas black culture. I, I'm happy about that. That's what we're celebrating, not okay. the slowness of liberation. So Juneteenth, it's celebrated annually on June 19th in the United States. It commemorates the anniversary of June 19th, 1865, which was the announcement of General Order 3 by Army General Gordon Granger. And it proclaims freedom from slavery in Texas, even though, again, slaves in Texas had been free for two and a half years, but you know. Um, But I did want to highlight one of our ancestors who is working on a national campaign to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Her name is Opal Lee. She is a native Texan from Fort Worth. Shout out to Fort Worth. Um, And I agree. Like, one of the things she said about why she thinks um, Juneteenth should be a national holiday is because it's about liberation for everybody, whereas July 4th can be is a little exclusionary because July 4th, Independence Day, African-Americans in this country were not free when we signed the Declaration of Independence. And and it took a civil war in which lots of people lost their lives and livelihoods um, to get freedom. And so um, I agree. I think Juneteenth, even though it started in Texas, um, and there's so much great culture of like barbecuing and like listening to Mm -hmm. great music, I feel like Before I Let Go is like on. (laughs) unofficial national anthem sort of Juneteenth holiday celebration anthem. Um, And so I'm going to link to her petition and her work in the show notes, but I also want to say that we're going to do a special Juneteenth resource guide for our Patreons and um, give you some more like books to read and like shows to watch. Miss Juneteenth, which is also set in Fort Worth, um, came out last year and great film, highly recommend. Um, So we're going to include some fun pop culture things for you guys to get your celebration on with us. Yes. So Lindsay, for those of you who don't know, Lindsay was really the director and producer for a mini documentary called Deep Roots. 
super awesome. We're going to link it for you guys in the show notes. You can watch it. Um, but I was really blown away by the thoughtfulness that you all put into the project um, and really just every aspect of it from the entire site, the timelines that you all, you know, like put together and um, all of it. But this is really the first year for me that I really paid attention to Black Music Month um, at all and really heard a lot more people talk about it. <laughs> And so um, tell me more, like what inspired you to direct and produce this project and really want to share more about the history of why we should be, you know, appreciating African-American music um, and it should be, you know, on the forefront of all of our minds. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you, I'm, first off, I'm glad you liked it. And it was, we def, I def, you know, we definitely put a lot of thought into it. And for those who don't know what Black Music Month is or African music, African American Music Appreciation Month is it started like back in the 70s and a lot of people like depending on who who you you know where you look it up if you look up the month and you try to see like on Wikipedia or whoever organize you know whatever you're getting information from a lot of people will credit President Jimmy Carter for starting the month and he was very instrumental in it because he he was the first president to have a picnic but it was actually started like by by and prompted by some prolific influences of African American artists during the 20th century. So it was like, it was like led by Kenny Gamble, who was instrumental in like soul and funk. And, um, he was a producer in the, like in the seventies. And then, um, his wife, uh, Diana Williams, who was an influential, like broadcaster, uh, music executive and music activist. And then, um, a few other people that kind of all launched this, this organization called black music, um, association. And one of their first acts was to, to try to push for Black Music Month because they wanted people to 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 kind of protect, preserve, and and remember and celebrate all the contributions that Black people have made to music. So they started pushing to to have this this month created. And so in '79, Jimmy Carter was the first president that hosted like a luncheon um, at the White House. And then later, if you were to continue reading about it, President Clinton is actually the one. Uh, Diana Williams, Diana Williams went and like helped with writing legislation to actually get a, an official presidential proclamation. So he, President Clinton signed it in 2000. And then the name got switched from Black Music Month to African American Music Appreciation Month later, I think in 2009 or 10 or something with uh, President Obama. So the month is really not that known. I think by a lot of people, even in the black community, it's not that yeah. known, but it's been around for a really long time. And I love the purpose behind it. And I think the that kind of leads me in like long, really long answer, but it leads, leads kind of in why we um, wanted to do this project. Because one, I think it's just a, it's, it's such a beautiful month, like focus month to celebrate. And there's a lot to celebrate and it's not very known. So, you know, I, I think, I think last year we started to see a lot of a lot more companies start to highlight these things like Juneteenth and Black Music Month. And I think it's a good thing. And I don't want that momentum to slow down. So we at Taylor, we said, let's do something that can really highlight the contributions of African-Americans really on all genres in America. When we say American music, really, it's black music that gave American their own, America their, its own sound. So um, I like pitched it. To our to our, our team, we have an amazing team at Wooden, Wooden Steel that writes our in-house magazine, and they loved it. And yeah, we went we went with it, and I thought it was just important to tell that story. 
Yeah, I really loved it as well. And I loved um, seeing Judith Hill in it. I was a yeah. big voice person. And I was like, oh my God, I know her. And for you guys who don't know, like Judith Hill is a big deal. She's got like, print. she got Princess Blessing. Like, I mean, phenomenal musician, super talented. So it was really cool to see her participation in it as well. Speaking of Judith Hill, I feel like she's not as like kind of well known. And so I just, since we have an expert um, and it is Black Music Appreciation Month, I was wondering, we're going to link to your playlist that you guys made um, to celebrate the month. But I also was wondering just from you personally, what kind of music you're loving right now? Like what are some artists that maybe we've missed out on that don't get a lot of mainstream success, but are super talented and we should add them to our playlist? Oh, man. Um, Well, Judith Hill's one. She just dropped her album. Baby, I'm Hollywood. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it is absolutely phenomenal. And J- Judith is like, like real, like traditional old school, like, like, I mean, she brings the new element, but she, she loves funk and soul. She grew up in that element, like just, just uh, talking with her and hearing her story and, and, and getting to know her more. Like, like she truly is a child of, of that music, her, you know, her parents who, who they played for, who was around her when she was younger she's a child of like funk and soul. So her album definitely embodies that with new age elements. So that album, um, I think Emily King is amazing. Love Emily King. Love her. You know, and, and, you know, she's just a lot of people, you know, I think that, I think she's, I think a lot of people just don't, don't, don't know her and she should be way more known than she is. She's just so good. So talented. Um, her father was incredible too. Let's see. I got to think you put me on the spot. There's so many artists and I'm going to forget people who I love, but I, I mean, I think people know Robert Glasper, but Robert Glasper is amazing. The way he's been able to kind of, I think we'll look back in 30, 40, 50 years and say he really kind of pioneered like a hip hop jazz genre. Like he took those mm-hmm. two and like enmeshed them so well. So Robert Glasper and his his trio or just even like what he does with the uh, black radio experiment. Um, man, there's so many. Um I'm thinking more. Hold on. Give me a second. I love I, I love Isaiah Sharkey. He's amazing. He's a guitarist um, who plays for a lot of different artists, but he also is an artist in his own right. And so Isaiah Sharkey's amazing. Um, man, there's so many, so many, so many. Yeah, no, that's good. That's like a really good list. I, yeah, watching the documentary, I was like inspired to go back and like download some Judith Hill. So I'm excited to listen to that like yeah. album. So um, yeah, thank you. That's I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about Black musical expression and the way that it evolved over time. So there's, you know, really whole genres of music that people have no idea have roots in Black musical expression. So can you talk to us more about it? Maybe give us some examples um, of those genres and things like that. You can exclude, though, country music because we're going to get to that more in depth next. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when it's not an understatement to say that, like, American music is rooted in black music, all of it. I mean, because, you know, bef- before the enslaved kind of started doing their thing and bringing their elements of their rhythms and their melody and all that stuff, it was, you know, mostly European music. It was classical stuff. And and so it was really we had European music over here. So when when the African American African Americans started taking it, and that's why it's not like uh, African music; it's African American music, specifically the the enslaved that took those elements from their, you know, from from their their ancestors and what was just in them. The music just traveled in their souls, and then um, 
kind of stayed with them and then what they were kind of hearing on this side and combining what you know these different elements so you have spirituals right like the fist jubilee singers were the first ones to take you know work songs and field songs they were they were sung all the time and they weren't allowed to sing so they were done kind of they were kind of secret songs and then and then you take those songs and as they were starting to get converted to you know as enslaved people were starting to get converted to christianity they took those work field songs and kind of combined bible Bible story theme elements and they became spirituals. Um, and, and then you have the spirituals kind of where the Fist Jubilee singers kind of take over. And now they, they combine that with choral singing and, and, uh, do you want me to go with all the genres? Do you want to stop there? Cause that's, no, cause no, can go. you can keep going. Yeah. You can keep going. So then you have, you know, you have spirituals and then from spirituals, you kind of see this evolution and then the next kind of form is blues that, you know, that you, you see kind of, come up on its own and you don't know I don't think I think it's hard to know because there's no recordings or, or there's you know no I, Dr. Stephen Lewis if you watch the documentary he was he said it perfectly and I'm not I'm going to butcher it but just like unfortunately they weren't really there's not a lot of document documentation about like about the enslaved right so it's hard to say like when things shifted but so it's going to I'm just going to kind of tell you where it shifted but you have spirituals and then you have blues and then you go into jazz and then you go into kind of more traditional gospel and then you have you know what kind of breeds rhythm and blues and then then you have people you know take rhythm and blues that kind of births in rock and roll and soul and so on disco and all these genres start to come out and are inspired at its core at blues and spirituals really that's the that's the infancy of everything and 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 ragtime and jazz and then everything else kind of just it's really cool everything else kind of just comes off of that comes out of those threes you'll see that jazz was inspired by ragtimes and blues that's the root of jazz and then you know, rhythm and blues is kind of like the root of that is jazz, blues, and a little bit of ragtime. And they all just kind of, so that's why I say like every genre has to have its infancy and its roots in, in early um, African-American music. It's just everything is kind of inspired by that. Yeah, no, that's really great. And I think one thing, you know, that so, was so interesting to me and just as someone who like loves music is going back and kind of watching documentaries about like, because, you know, we know sort of in popular culture, especially with like rock and roll, it's like people talk about Elvis, they talk about the Beatles, they talk about um, the Rolling Stones. But then if you listen to interviews with like Paul McCartney and Mick Jagger, they always cite their black influences. They always... Um, this is like a, such a funny, this is a funny aside, but the Amazing yes. Grace documentary <laughs> about Aretha Franklin going and singing in this church, there's like a scene where you can see Mick Jagger sneak into the church and like stand in the back. And it's like someone famous, someone has to go get him and be like, you're famous. You can sit in the front of this concert. But it's like this sort of like, I mean, it's just awkward, you know, like heard Aretha was doing this free concert in a church and like wanted to go see, hear one of the best to ever do it. Um, and so I think that that's like important. I think we, you know, it's often lost this history that you're talking about. And I think the documentary does a great way, a great job of like kind of bringing that to the forefront, which brings me to country music. As most of our listeners know, I am a fan of country music. I blame spending four years at Texas A&M. You just have to pick it's part That's of the degree. That's what did it to you. I know. I feel like it's part of the degree. They just, they're like, you know, come here. If you don't have a truck, you have to learn to love country music. I don't know. But I do, oh. really, <laughs> I do really love the storytelling. Um, yes. 
And I don't think it was till I got older that I realized that even country music has its roots in African-American music and culture. And even just, even the way we tell that story, I feel like I know that like it has its roots, but then we never talk about sort of modern country and how we got from, you know, root. I don't know. I just feel like Black people are often excluded from the narrative of country music. And I'm just wondering kind of what you thought about that, like why that has happened and what are some, what are your thoughts on like sort of reclaiming that um, heritage? Yeah. You know, country is not unique in that. And it's the only, I mean, it's definitely one of the the oldest genres that black people have been excluded from. I think that it was just co-opted so early because it happened in rock and roll too. You mentioned it. I'll come back to country, but you did mention it. I'm like, it's a really good point with like with Elvis and Mick Jagger and people like that. Uh, the artists were citing, you know, these, these, these white artists, non-black artists were citing the black influences that were like, that were, you know, had a huge impact on their, their careers and their styles. Like Elvis cre- credits, you know, Fats Waller's for, uh, excuse me, not Fats Wallace, Fats, Fats Domino's for, for rock and roll. He's like, man, I can never sing like a black man. Like he actually said that, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and um, you know, the Rolling Stones are actually really, I would say you could credit them with bringing a lot of new notoriety to Muddy Waters. Who's, yeah. a, you know, pr- pr- because, pe- you know, when they wanted to come on a tour, they were, they were like, yeah, we want if Muddy Waters can, can, can be on it. And they were like, who's Muddy, the people that were arranging the tour, like who's Muddy Waters? And they're like, are you kidding me? We named our band... <laughs> after his song like and so it's really the industry right i saw a quote and i wish i had it here i said it said oh you know what i do have it I, and i don't know who actually said it so i um i can't i can't take credit for it but it said the american music industry has actively attempted to popularize white performers of african-american music because they are more palatable to mainstream and middle-class americans and they continue to do that to this day. So it, it's not the artist. It was the industry that was doing this. Yeah. And so, you know, like with rock and roll, for instance, right? So, so rhythm and blues was this style that came out. And then and then I think white executives and music executives saw the commercialization possibility. And they quickly kind of co-opted the sound and just rebranded it as rock and roll. Because r- rock and roll was a slang term that was used in blues all the time for sex. That's what it meant. Like sex, sexual intercourse. Like that's what it was. Black people were saying it all the time. And and so they took the the, the name and they rebranded rock, rock and roll and marketed that to white to white, white audiences. But Fat Swallers has a fun, uh, funny quote. He says, he said, um, well, what they call rock and roll now is rhythm and blues. I've been I've been playing for 15 years in New Orleans. Yeah. And so the same thing with country. So going back to your question, like it's I say it's not unique in that. It's just it just it, it is the it is one of the genres like rock and roll where I think the erasure of black people have um have been seen the most. So country the same thing. I think a lot of people don't realize that in in the Antebellum South like back in the day like they give blues and spirituals and jazz credit to to you know the black communities and it's hard to erase that to be honest. It just you can't. But there, there has been, I think there was this intentional erasure that, that black people weren't listening to country or playing country, um, back then, but country was just as popular as those genres, just as popular. And I, you have a few artists, um, that give credit to, 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 to black artists saying that they, they got their style from listening to, um, you know, to like Chet Ankins, I think, and Hank Williams, I think they've they've admitted that they 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 learned their craft from like black street corner musicians, you know. And so you'll have some artists that that acknowledge that these 
that these these bl- this this country music that's rooted honestly in blues as well was originated in the black community. I mean, you think about the instruments in early country. It was the fiddle and and the banjo, and the banjo is an African instrument, and so I, it's hard to deny it, deny the 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 traces of uh, of uh, I, I think of of the black of, of black people's impact on country, but um, it's just it's countries marketed to white people. That's just what it is, you know. And I think they did that very early on. It's heritage. So it's not that like Mickey Gaetan or like Reese Palmer or Jimmy Allen, they're not interlopers, right? Like they are coming from a heritage, a very authentic heritage. Mickey Gaetan is also from Texas. There you go. Shout out. Shout shout out out. to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, Another thing to brag on, Juneteenth and, and, and Texas. Yes, and, and so Mickey. you know, we just yeah, we just gotta keep it. We just gotta keep it going. <laughs> but, oh yeah, that brag will not be worth it, guys. Texas. Texas is a mess. We gotta take our like you gotta take applause. your wins. <laughs> you gotta Texas. take your wins. You gotta take your where wins we, where we can. <laughs> yeah, that brag will not be rescinded. That's so good. No, country <laughs> is definitely, definitely. In our in our roots, in our souls, yeah, that's no, for sure. I, yeah, I'm I'm really happy to you know shout out Tracy Palmer and the work that she's done with Color Me Country. I think for me that's been a huge education with her work. Linda Martell, who was recently like recognized by CMT, um, first Black woman to perform at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. That album is actually on Apple Music, so you can go listen to it from the 1970s. Linda was killing it, so shout out to her too. Yeah. Very cool. I think like this is random, but worth telling. So, you know, I'm not a big country music fan, but one time I went to this fundraiser. um, And of course, I'm not even going to remember who this person, this country singer is. I'll, I'll find it. I'll tell you. So I went to a fundraiser for work and it was this like really like big fancy house in Nashville, private fundraiser. And a lot of very wealthy people there and famous people, you know, country, you know, singers and all this stuff. I was out of my element because it just wasn't, you know, I didn't know any of these people and I didn't know country music. (laughs) And so I'm there and they start singing all of these songs Um, This artist, why can't I find this playlist? Y'all, I had to make a playlist after after this, after this event, this fundraising event, because I was like, if I'm going to have to move around in these rooms with white people and they like country, I got to know a song or two. I got to know a song or two. I had gotten them (laughs) on the fact that... (laughs) Right. She's in love with the boy. (laughs) You gotta go with, you know, you just know like classic '90s country. If you could do, if you know a Garth Brooks song, maybe a Trisha Yearwood song, you're good. Just you know, I got friends in low places. I I do know, I do know that one. Before he cheats, Carrie Underwood. Underwood. Yeah. Yeah, Carrie Underwood. I knew a few of hers. Okay, so the guy performing, I just found it. It was Tim McGraw. Okay, oh, it was a private Tim oh McGraw concert. Face. You don't know Tim. You McGraw. don't know Tim McGraw. <laughs> I mean, I had heard of him, you know, 
But when I got there, I was like, I think I should have listened to a few songs before I got here because everybody was like singing. And I was, you know, I learned the words to songs really quickly. So before you knew it, I was one of the bunch. But after that, I was Why like, did I oh think my. you were going to say something obscure and I was going to be like, oh, Faith, that's Me okay. Too. You don't need to know no, guys. But no, 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 guys. This, when I tell you, when I tell you I was at a very, very, very rich couple's house in Nashville, the place that the concert was held was in a back, a back, I, I can't even call it a room, a back, I mean, it might as well have been a back performance hall <laughs> in the back of their house. The toilet paper was black. What? What? Black, like thick, nice black toilet paper. I tell you, the. the very, very rich people were here this night and so many famous people. And I was just like, wow, okay, this was a learning thing. And I talked to some ladies behind me and we connected over the fact that I had traveled extensively. I was like, oh yeah, I've been to Greece. They're like, oh yeah, I've been to whatever, whatever. And I was like, okay, I've got the international travel down, but what I don't have is the country music. So after that, I made a playlist of some songs. So that way, if I get in a pinch, you have something to I can have I have a few to go off. I mean, and there I started listening to it. I mean, I got another words. Yeah. So um so anyways, I have a little have it's to. called it's called my kinda country playlist. Okay. And um that's my country music story <laughs> for you. That was just for free. I love it. I love I personally love that you did not know who Ted McGraw was. When I do too. That's, that's like, I, you know, if someone, I really feel like Tim McGraw and Faith Hill are like the Jay-Z and Beyonce of country music. And absolutely. I absolutely. would... <laughs> absolutely. I, 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 Faith, I love it. That is an act of resistance, not knowing who Tim McGraw is. That, Listen, that I mean, is. I was like, I know of him, but everybody was like freaking out. And I was like, I mean... But you just took like two minutes right now trying to look it up to remember it. it you're right like, that that's the thing i just it didn't stick with me <laughs> it, it, it didn't stick with me i i was just like i i know it was somebody and, and he was a big deal that is a very important point not only did she not know him at the time she can't remember <laughs> So y'all, I mean, literally, Tim McGraw was two, two. I mean, just two rows away, right there. Didn't even, <laughs> you know, just trying to listen Ooh, to the song. Any fans of country that listen to you guys, they are probably just cringing right now, dying. I mean, that they, uh, that you got to have that opportunity and they didn't, and you don't even appreciate. I know. You were like, no, like, it's not that I didn't appreciate country, it. Country gold, right I know. there. It's country, I, country I royalty. I did. I appreciated it because <laughs> I went and made a playlist so I could relate and connect. Much like last time, I was the only black person in a white space. I committed to watching The Bachelor that year, ah. so I had something to talk about oh my so gosh. you know i i will do whatever recon i need to do to be able to look at you, you know yeah to stay in the mix you know, you know i can imagine <laughs> yeah i mean i can imagine if someone was like beyonce and didn't know who she was i would feel very angry if they had a similar right. story <laughs> right no i mean i'm sure right. people would be like completely upset with me right now but you know what it is what it is all you guys need to know is that i have built a bridge and i walked <laughs> over it so there you go 
There you go. So there's, so there's that. The bridge has been built. And let's just say, if Faith can learn Tim McGraw, you can learn Judith Hill, you can learn Linda Martell, like, Charlie Pride, you can learn Mickey Gaetan. So there's, there's also a bridge for you to walk over to our listeners who, who, who don't know those people. See? There you go. Exactly. Faith. We're all we're all learning something. Exactly. Y'all, look. Let me Faith, let me example. show you. I'm gonna show you right now. Let's see this picture. Look, Wait, did that's did how, you take a picture how, with him? That's how close oh. he was. Faith. Oh my <laughs> God. Right, Faith. Oh my, exactly. Right why, there. Why, I just. Why? I just. Faith. He was right there. Heard. <laughs> I just remembered that I had. I just exactly. remembered why I had didn't that you picture. Start with. <laughs> here's the picture of the guy. <laughs> oh, what's he was there too? Isn't he like he's a comedian? Um, what's his name? Kevin. Something Wait. right? I forgot. Oh, um, Kevin Nealon. Yeah. He was yeah. on Saturday Night Live in the Yeah, he was there. Oh yeah, him gosh. and some a lot of other people. Yeah, but anyways, you I had mean. quite the experience, Faith. I've had so many, like, quite, quite the, the experiences. Quite the, the this, white experience. <laughs> you know, this was all for work, and, um, and it was great. It was a good time. I think Carrie Underwood might have been there. I can't remember. It was a lot of faith. Okay, faith. May I tell you? you can, it was, it was name whole thing. Exactly. Now, 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 faith, now you're just bragging. Okay, we need to move on. Like, you're just, this, this is just. Okay, Lindsay. Now you're just bragging about being in a room with famous people you that are actually not famous enough to like register on your attention level. Yeah, <laughs> they're not black I mean, famous. She, they she, don't make black Twitter or black Instagram. No, they don't. Make. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We're okay. cultured. We're cultured. Lindsay. Yes. We're gonna bring it back. We're yeah, gonna bring, bring it back. back to the start. Black Sorry, music. I derailed it, guys. No, that was great. Tell us about the National Museum of African American Music. What did you learn from your visit and why should people add it to their list of important places to visit? I know a lot of people now have like the um, EJI Memorial um, on their list of places to go um, and more people are like frequenting um, their site. But why should we also add um, this museum as well to our list of places to go and visit and why is it important to us to learn from it? Yeah, um, I think that it's important to know your history. And I think that that's just like flat out period, like just period. And that should be enough. And I think um, for a long time, I think Dr. Dr. Stephen Lewis in, in the doctor, he's a curator of the museum. He said this, he's like for a long time um, in Nashville, but I would say even in, in America, there's been um, uh an erasure of black contribution to music and kind of whether it's going to say cultural appropriation, which is a whole nother conversation on why that happens. Um, kind of to the quote that I read earlier or, or just co-opting or whatever the case is. But I think that this museum that is there, it's going to be there long after our lifetime and our kids lifetime, hopefully, you know, you hope (laughs) that, that, um, they're going to be able to go there and not for and and if if you're black you're going to feel pride you're going to feel I I felt this great sense of pride walking through there and just seeing like okay I already knew a lot of this stuff because I just love studying music history but you you can never know everything like that's just the truth so even even the person that thinks they know everything learns something there will learn something there you just you walk through and you feel the sense of pride that your ancestors people you're connected to really did shape the soundtrack of America, the cult, which is the culture of America. Um, so you feel that pride. And if you're not black, I think you, 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 if you didn't know this, you kind of learn 
true history and you gain an appreciation for for i think um a a people group who who oftentimes has a has a a narrative written like you know black people have a narrative written about them by the media about by people on a on a regular basis and it's that that narrative often erases the excellence that black people have brought to this country so i think you get to learn that um and see that and yeah, I, I think that that enough. It's just it's just so well done. Yeah, so well done. Well, I'm really excited to go. I mean, I feel like yeah, we have the Blacksonian and now this in Nashville, and you know, I think part of to your point of like part of like knowing history is knowing accurate history, and it's not revision yeah. to say that you know Chuck Berry is really the father of rock. You know, like that's not revision. That's not revisionist history. I mean, like that is the fact of it. And so I'm excited that there's a place where we can hear and learn and see and experience all that. And I will say, um, you know, part of it too, the thing you said earlier is like record executives expect white people for our white listeners or non-black listeners for you to be racist in your musical taste so that you will listen to Taylor Swift's songwriting, but you won't give her the same time of day. And I just think maybe mm. one act of resistance um, in Black, you know, Black Music Appreciation Month is to say that that's not actually not true. That excellence, who, whatever the race of the artist or performer, that you are going to add them to your playlist. So I hope that you will. That's so true. Yeah. I hope that you will do that. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. I love this discussion. Um, I think it's important that we talk about Juneteenth, but also Black Music Month um, and the powerful history of our community's musical expression, which has shaped so much of, I think, who we are, music. I mean, some of, like, when I think of, like, the semester I spent in London, I associate that time with Kanye West graduation. Like, music is an important part pre... Yes. Old Kanye. (laughs) Um, I, you know, so music is such an important part of our lives. And so I'm like, I love this conversation. I love talking about music. So thank you so much for coming. Man, thanks for having me, guys. Well, I mean, it is time for our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis. So um, in this segment, we tell you what we are loving, are blessed right now, and then also what we think is just an absolute and complete mess. So Catherine, why don't you get us started? Yes. So I always like to end on a positive note, so I'll start with my mess. Um, So I saw In the Heights, my first time back in a movie theater since January 2020, and I love musicals. I saw In the Heights when it was on Broadway, and I love the movie, but... There are some valid criticisms to be made um, about the movie. The erasure of Afro-Latinos has been a big topic of conversation online. And I just have to say, what my mess is, is the response by John Chu and actress Melissa Barria to the questions about Afro-Latinx erasure in the movie. So one of the things I loved about the original Broadway play is there's a whole like subplot about the fact that part of the reason Nina's dad does not like Benny is because he's Black and he's not Latino. And she has to confront him and his sort of anti-Blackness. Aside from the the cutting that subplot, and I think also to just not having any Afro-Latinos, um, Latinx ex- in the sort of main character roles, um, is problematic. And then I just thought the cringe response of being like, well, did you see the dancers in the back? As if, like, you bring enough to be kind of in the background to, like, add, you know, flavor, but not 
you know, not enough to be representation of when you talk about people from the Dominican Republic to show someone who's actually Afro-Latino. Um, and so I would just say I was just really disappointed. And I think also, too, for John Chu, like, a similar controversy erupted for Crazy Rich Asians about dark-skinned Asian representation. And I just feel like, you know, to say, like, oh, this is an important conversation, thank you for asking that question, is good, but it's also important to act. And as the queen, Maya Angelou would say, when you know better, you do better. My bless is, because I'm not in school anymore, binge-watching a lot of TV, I would like to recommend Hacks on HBO Max. Gene Smart is a delight, and it is so funny. It's like a story of kind of like an um, older comedian, kind of a cross-generational, like she's having to adapt to kind of a new comedy market. Um, so it's about mentorship and friendship, and it just is, she's hysterical. I, I love that show. Um, and then my other bless is Rutherford Falls, which is on Peacock which is a little bit more difficult to get, but it's worth it. Peacock, uh, Rutherford Falls is about, uh, it is probably, I don't know other shows, so I could be wrong about this. So feel free to correct me in the comments or whatever online. But it, in my lifetime, I feel like it's the first TV show that's been fronted solely by indigenous actors. It's from the people that created The Office and Parks and Recreation. It's sort of a comedy about this town. And speaking of history, the way in which we tell history um, that sort of erases indigenous peoples, and it's a funny take on that, and I highly recommend it. I have not seen yet that Peacock has greenlit season two. So if there's a petition circulating, I will sign it because Rutherford Falls is the bomb. <laughs> I've heard good things about it, so um, I'm definitely going to have to check that one yeah. out and then get Peapop. Peapop. Peacock. I'm writing these down. It's, it's, it's a lot to keep track of. Honestly, if you're, have you have a family, you need to like divide and conquer. So my sister has Peacock and I just watched through her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's so many different things now. It's like so hard for me to, for me to keep up on just everything. Every, subscribe everything. Okay. The mess for me right now as a frequent traveler and traveler is more so resuming um, and y'all know travel is like my hobby. You know, I just I love traveling. Um, but the the joy of having no middle seat was just wow. That's a struggle. I, uh, that was incredible. It was a blessing while it lasted. It was nice. While it lasted. And the mess is that the middle seat is now gone. And just having to be squished again <laughs> is just too much. And I feel like, how did we even allow ourselves to be subjected to this level of squishing? <laughs> and so I just... Not level of squishing. <laughs> I just don't like it. And I don't like to be squished. So I'm very disappointed about that. I wish these airlines weren't so money hungry when we paid once again to bail them out. The least they could do is bail us out of the middle seat. Um, so what I am loving, I know Lindsay, I'm crazy. Well, can I just um, say also like people are squished and y'all are cutting up on these airplanes, like at a ridiculous high level. So you know, I, I, it might be the squishing that is causing people to just wild it out. Might be. <laughs> I flew home last night and I was so mad that someone sat right next to me in the middle. I mean, it, it's just, I just, uh, I had to sit down the other day and I saw somebody was sitting next to me and I was like. And people oh. are just packing airports. There's like, no, like, they're not following social. I mean, it's just like, oh, did we just forget? Not wearing masks. And I know, no, I, I know it's a lot. not all y'all are vaccinated. 
It's a lot. No. It's a lot. Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, there's a lot of people that are not, you know, they, who, who can you trust? Um, no one. So you just got to do what you got to do. Um, do your part because I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if these people are taking it seriously. But, you know, I see people the minute they take their drink and they drink it and they're done drinking it and the mask never comes back on. It just oh my God. never. No, just never. be in the terminal on the cell phone, screaming at full volume, ma- mass nowhere in sight. And that is, yes, a personal yeah. experience. Sir, why are you standing right next to me screaming into your phone? With not a mask in sight. Absolutely not. So that got, and you know, God bless all the airline workers that are doing their best to serve during this pandemic. You know, I I can't remember what airline, maybe, I don't know, one airline was asking its workers to volunteer and work for free due to the demand. Absolutely not. That's what you're not going to do. Okay. (laughs) So... Somehow, I don't know where y'all put that bailout money we, we just funded. Right. But what you're not going to do is ask these good people working no. hard <laughs> to volunteer. No. <laughs> it makes no sense. No. So let's just be nice to the people as you're traveling. Yes. Um, yes. One thing I'm loving right now is really gaining life's wisdom from my um, grandfather. I was talking to him for a while yesterday about life and just what I'm thinking about, what snacks, opportunities coming and what I want to do. And he was just so wise. And so I really hope that one day I can just like sit down and capture his wisdom and like record some of his words and just to keep those things with me. So I hope and pray that if you do have um, grandparents that are still living that, you know, just to remember the importance of like honoring you know, our elders and remembering and keeping stories alive um, from generations to generations. So, um, Lindsay, it is now your turn. Okay. Yeah, I'll start with my mess too so we can end on a happy note. Um, Well, we were talking about this earlier, but you can't turn on the news or your phone without seeing all these these states and banning CRT, you know, critical race theory or fighting against it or churches now coming out against it. And it's, it's just a hot mess because nobody knows what it really, I wouldn't say nobody, but most of them don't even know what it is. And they're lumping black history with critical race theory. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) stop doing that. (laughs) So that's a hot mess. Our country just doesn't want to teach true history and black history. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I was told, the winner gets to write the history, right? So it's it's you know the oppressor gets to write the history. It's never from the 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 point of view of the oppressed. And so they're fighting that. They're fighting hearing history from the oppressed. And I think it's so interesting that you would say that because even just when you okay, growing up in Texas again, Texas is a mess. The way in which we teach slavery as like workers who are happy, they sang, people were good to their slaves. Um, you know, something went viral on Twitter with like the cutouts from like Louisiana and how they teach history in middle school in Louisiana. And so one of the arguments against CRT is it makes white kids feel bad about being white. And can you imagine being an African-American child? I I don't, I won't speak for every African-American family, but we had very frank conversations. My grandfather was very much like, you need to know black history, true black history, because we didn't trust it to be taught in public schools. But can you imagine how it feels to be a black child on the day in which you learn the history of enslavement and the Civil War and the ways in which currently the narrative is exposed? So then, again, it goes to whose feelings actually matter 
And why is it that just teaching accurate history that tells the truth about slavery, that is not critical race theory? That part, that part, that part. Yeah, messes up that patriotic narrative. Listen, but... that's a mess. Uh, my my bless, right? <laughs> uh, so Questlove has a movie coming out on Hulu. It's already, it kind of was ready, I think, at different festivals. But on Hulu, I think it starts streaming. I have to look it up. July 2nd um, on Hulu. It's called Summer of Soul. And it's all mm. about this festival that was, was happening around the same time as, um, man, what's the other big fest? It was like in the 70s. Wood, Woodstock. And, or in 69 as Woodstock. Yeah. 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 69 as Woodstock. While the Woodstock was going on, there was the Summer of Soul and these huge names, Sly and the Family Stone, Stevie Wonder, everybody was there, but it just wasn't covered. But it's all, it was all recorded. And now it's all about to be released. I'm, I'm excited. That's so Watch it. I'm so excited. Thank you for telling me about that. I'm so excited. July 2nd. We're going to mark our calendars. Okay, y'all. Well, thank you for listening. Um, remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Help us to get to 200 reviews. Also, join our Patreon community. Our patrons get to listen to episodes a day early, commercial free, um, and just all kind of other little perks that we do over there for you all. We want to welcome our new patron, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining the community. Um, and we are still $200 shy of our monthly podcast expenses goal. So we would love for you all to share our work with your family and friends and help us raise $200 um, more in monthly support so we can continue um, the Melanated Faith podcast. We cannot wait to connect with you all via Patreon this summer during our break. So we will see you all soon. Bye. Bye.